And that energy is amazing. It feels warm, empowering, because now I can go everywhere around the world and say, I'm angry. I'm angry. Look at what you did to me. And but she told foster kids and people with hate, I understand the energy and what it feels like. It's amazing energy. Nobody wants to say that out loud, but it is because you want to hold on to the hate because that's what empowering you. But you got to find a new energy. Yeah, It's over. Let, let life give you a new energy. Yes. Because that energy is going to, it's, it's sucking your, it's sucking your life away. Yeah. And what's beyond that energy? one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. What's up, everyone? This is Barbara Heller. Welcome back to See One beautiful soul. I'm so excited. My guest today is Ambition, the poet. He is the first foster care poet in the history of the United States and the world. I met him through this app called Clubhouse. It's fairly new. I just joined it a few weeks ago and I've met the most incredible people on there. And what I love about it is that it's the sound of the voice that connects you to the other person. There's no messaging. There's no liking, commenting. It's just a bunch of voices in a room sharing. And a lot of people are sharing sharing from the heart, which is really unifying and helpful. And I have a club on there now called See One Beautiful Soul. Please join me. You can search under the clubs for See One Beautiful Soul. That's four separate words. And you can also follow me personally on there at symbol, all lowercase letters, Barbara Heller, B-A-R-B-A-R-A-H-E-L-L-E-R. I'd love to have you talk in one of my rooms, get up on stage. I might even make you a co-moderator. In my club, See One Beautiful Soul, we share stories, laugh till we cry, sing songs, and always all for the intention of making the world a better place. Try to learn something from everybody's share. So join me there on Clubhouse, join the club, See One Beautiful Soul. Also pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, a children's book about the blessings of COVID for children of all ages, especially adults, called And Then One Day the World Coughed. I have some big news. My music video, the song that I wrote called You Are Gold, is now winning awards. So please check it out if you haven't already on YouTube. Just type in Barbara Heller, You Are Gold, and you'll see not only the music video, but some of the behind the scenes video footage and why I made the video in the first place. It's for all souls mattering. It's a very, very important project that's very close to my heart and I hope you'll enjoy. My guest today is Ambition the Poet. Yes, you heard me correctly, that is his name. He is the three-time author of the series From the Tongue of a Foster Child. He has a new book coming out, you'll hear about that in the episode. He has performed on stages around the world, including Temple University, the NAACP, and the Wells Fargo Center. Listen closely to this episode, my friend. And if you know someone who's been adopted or in the foster care system or has ever had trouble forgiving one of their parents or guardians, please forward them this episode. It might help them. Stick around to the end. There's a writing assignment. Yes, you heard me correctly. I'm going to start giving you guys more Grome work, G-R-O-W-M-E. I've done it before on our Facebook page, but I'm actually going to slide it into this episode because this guest is an amazing writer. And so I hope it inspires you to create from whatever pain or great story that is inside of you. And without further ado, welcome my guest, Ambition the Poet. What is up? I've got ambition here. I mean, I do have some ambition inside of me, but we have ambition. <laughs> the first foster care poet. That's correct. 
Okay. In the United <laughs> States or in the world? Is it really in the world? But because I'm always talking to United States citizens, I want to let them know. <laughs> I love it. I love anything first. Um, how did you come up with your name? Oh, I don't know if you remember Facebook back in the day when we first started. We used to like little quotes in between our first and last names. So it would be like the girl Keisha would put Keisha can't nobody beat me Johnson. <laughs> So I put Brian, Mr. Ambition Harper. For some reason, people loved it. It really connected with me. So at the time, I just was like Mr. Ambition. But people literally was not calling me Brian no more. They was just wow. saying Mr. Wow. Ambition. Started doing poetry and I just dropped the Mr. Man, um, the word and the people um, just connected to it. And I love the word and the, the meaning behind this. When I first looked up Ambition is literally a word from across the pond where a person was going over trying to get votes. The word was created was a person trying to get votes for themselves and understanding that it's really a self-desire to burning inside, a burning desire that meets one's soul. My name is Ambition because it's a banner. It's not for me, it's for all of us. So when you say my name, you think about yourself and others, right? And so when you say Ambition, I do, I think I have that too. So yeah. And I, and I wanted to make sure that I called myself that so you could really think about yourself. And the ambition that's different between others is that it's a self-starting type of energy. It's already inside of you. Sometimes you just have to spark it, but it's already within you. There's nothing you have to do to, to get it. How did you already make me cry? Like, already- <laughs> No, it's too early, Barbara, not yet. The fact that I know you were a foster kid and you named yourself something for everyone i mean i'm gonna drop my mic like i don't it's really powerful you know so woo! this is called the cleft in hebrew this is and speaking of hebrew i want to just you know we talk about all kinds of faiths on here that's why it's called see one beautiful soul because i do comedy but i do it with the purposes and the intentions of that we will laugh at what is real real with a w l real we will stop violence incivility and we will take care of one another as one soul cuz my grandmama taught me if you are hurting then i'm hurting mm. and we are all hurting right now for so many reasons but so much of it is unconscious cuz we feel we are the only animal on the planet that feels other people's pain Hmm. My knowledge of the word Avraham and Aver in Hebrew, okay? The word Aver, which is the root of the word Hebrew, and the root Aver from Avraham, the very first monotheist, if you will, the first ambition. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but it literally comes from one who is able to cross over. Hmm. One who is able to cross over. So what does that mean? He crossed over the rivers that God put in his path. You can call it the forest, universe, whatever you want to call it. According to Judeo-Christian and even Islam, this guy who was the father of dad, Abraham of all the nations, he decided to go just because he was called and God qualified him because God qualifies the called. You know, I not have the degree You might not even have the full ambition yet, but you have that spark, like you said. And so he crossed over what was difficult for him, not knowing what was on the other side of the river because he believed. And I don't know if you know that, but I want to gift that to you so that you can take that forward because ambition really is believing in something greater than us and going anyway. 
Mm. Um, at least that's the Hebrew. And I love Hebrew because even every letter has a meaning. So thank you for sharing that. I love that knowledge. I'm, I'm, I'm taking it in like, wow, I, I didn't know any of that. And so now you're going to have me study this word because I love words. Funny, my pastor, he does the same exact thing. This word means this. But when you look at it in this context, yes. the beginning of the word means this. And I'm like, yes, I'll be writing in those like this is good. I have to tell you, I've interviewed 40 people so far on my podcast. You are the first person with a notebook. Mm. What I tell people all the time is you are always a student. Always. If you take that mindset, you'll get so much, you'll get so much further than you ever would. Every time I talk to somebody, they don't even know I got like a little, I'm like, okay, because I'm learning. So I'm sitting in your presence and here you are teaching me about Hebrew. So when you're in other rooms, you may be able to teach somebody else about the same word, right? And that just takes, when, I, when I'm listening, I'm learning, I use it, to me, it's power. So when you're talking and you're teaching me something, I'm listening and I'm saying, okay, I'm a little bit more powerful today just by you teaching. Knowledge is power. So when I listen and I'm, this, I'm taking it in, thank you. Thank you. You're making me more powerful because I have to teach people. And if they want to use different words, oh, I got a word and here's the breakdown. Thank you to Barb. <laughs> From my rabbis, you know, Mm -hmm. who who teach me, you're already making me cry again. It's weird. It's like when you, when you talk, I think you've worked so hard on yourself. I have a very high EQ. I'm not that smart when it comes to books. I've only read a few. I -hmm. listen to books and I watch a lot of film and I, I take in through my eyes and my ears and my heart, but I have a very heightened sense of when people are telling the truth and I keep crying. I have never cried this much at the beginning of an interview. And I I can feel that you have a very intentional life. You wake up and you're like, okay, this is how many seconds I have today. Not even minutes. And you're like, what can I do with it? And it's so powerful. I'm really beclamped and crying. Do you see this? There's tears <laughs> on my face. Okay, I'm going to try to keep it together so I can ask you the next question. What, what do we need to know about you? I started in a city called Philadelphia. I'm nobody. I'm nothing. My mom is caught up in the 80s. Crack is hitting black and brown communities. It's hitting everybody. White. Where I come from, the inner cities, we're going down the drain. My mom gets caught in that. I'm born in 85. I'm put into foster care age two. It's debatable depending on the family members. They could debate about that. So I'm in foster care. I'm going from home to home. I end up in a part of North Philly called Nice Town. If you ask people about that, there's nothing nice about that part of town. The founders <laughs> had hope. They were like, this is going to be a nice town. <laughs> right. The original Nice Town actually probably was nice at that time. But when I got there, I don't remember that. <laughs> Verbal abuse. I mean, it's it's a blur because you're you're getting moved around so much. And I'm only eight at this time. And so this lady, this middle class lady, saves me. She um takes me in. I start living with her, the next foster home, and that's my last foster home. She ends up moving from the West Oblane section of Philadelphia to something called uh, Sickleville, New Jersey. To me, it felt like literally I went from poverty to being rich. You know, I, I didn't know the difference. To me, I thought I was rich growing up, right? I'm being bullied in the numbers because I had poverty on me. I look like I'm from Philly. And at that time in this part of New Jersey, they don't like people who are don't have money. Um, you're getting teased because 
you don't look like you come from a good home. Um, hygiene is now looked at. You know, in Philly, you can get away with being dusty and looking a little, you know, rough because you can brag on that. But in the suburbs of South Jersey, that's not how it works. And so I'm being bullied in South Jersey because I'm poor looking. I'm getting bullied in Philly because now they're calling me a Jersey boy and you live with white people and you're not like us. And so I'm being bullied because of my nice living and the nice people that, that people who live in nice houses are bullying me because I come from poverty. It was the hardest thing. Not only are you dealing with self-identity, you're dealing with a struggle of location identity. I haven't seen my mom and I only seen one sibling at this time. I didn't even know that at this time I had, I'm, a, I'm part of a family of six. I just thought it was me and the one sibling and maybe another brother. That's it. Struggling through that time with self-identity. I don't know who my mom is. I don't know who I am, what I am, what am I doing here? I'm in a great neighborhood, but I'm struggling. I have um, struggles with sleeping. Um, I have struggles with um, trying to find myself. I'm getting to uh, high school and now I'm starting to become violent. Um, in my words, in my wordplay, I hate my mom. I hate um, myself. As a matter of fact, um, I struggle with love. And my mom had to teach me how to love. And you're not- calling your mom the woman that you moved in with. Correct. Yep. Can, you, can you describe to me that family? Was it just one woman? Who was in that house? It was my mom, my dad, and one brother. Okay. All time. Caucasian. No, black. All black. Oh, they were a black, black. family. Yeah, the area is all Caucasian. At that time, it's all Caucasian families in South Jersey, and it's like maybe like three black people. We're literally, the area of Sickleville at that time was literally the blacks who was getting a little bit of money are migrating here from Philly. It's becoming the Philadelphia suburb in the early 90s and the early, late 80s, okay? Well, a little bit like the Cosbys. Like, they're going to hell. Right, like, because like, people are looking like, how the hell you get here? But my mom is a SEPTA worker and my dad, which is like a, a you know, the SEPTA, the bus system. And my dad is working at the post office. So they had really good jobs pertaining to that particular era at that time. So they're making good money even at that time, right? But they're still so, middle class or upper middle class? Upper middle class at the time, yep. Working at the post office? <laughs> yeah. And on the bus system? In okay. the bus system. They're paying people way above as i started to get into my mom's history at that time if you worked at the post office and you worked at the uh the septa in philly you're getting money you're high up because it's union and they're paying people buku money compared to all of the other people who have regular private sector jobs okay now so, one second. i have to interrupt you i'm so sorry because my i think my listeners are going to be like wait what happened so how did this woman, can we, can we find out your mom's first name or we don't need to, but you're yeah, Mina. Mina. Mina okay. yep. I love that name. So <laughs> how did Mina feel the calling to come and get you? How, how, I mean, clearly this she was, was already helping time. foster kids. Yeah. She was already helping foster kids before I got there. In fact, when I got there, there was already a foster brother there. So she was already doing this work before I met her. What, what made her do it? Did she not have her own children or? And that's what she asked. She actually had her own children. Yeah. So I I never asked her why she got into it. However, 
However, my first question, why you pick me? Doing the questioning of finding why you love strangers, because that concept was weird to me. I'm like, why are you loving me? She's like, do you believe in love? I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't believe in you. And you're talking about some guy named Jesus. I don't even know what you're talking about. Where I come from, people don't love people. Because if that was the case, I wouldn't be here. So she, she says, um, excuse me, I love you because number one, Christ loves me. And number two, my mom, and this is so true, her mom would help poor people in her house. So she really learned it from her mom. And I think when, it, when she was growing up, she learned how to help people that need help. But she was already really helping foster kids and she had her own kids as well. And they took me in and loved me. Going back to raising, being raised, as I start to become more violent in my thoughts, she's still helping me understand love and who I am as a person. Mom, they're bullying me outside. Go back outside. Mom, they're saying I'm ugly. Go back outside. They're saying that I'm a foster kid. Go back outside. Kept teaching me, keep working on me. Um, and so I made it through high school. And this is where we're going to talk about the forgiveness, is that I finally get to meet my mom at the age of 26. Changed my life. The hatred, the anger ceased. I could no longer hate someone who couldn't put a sentence together, who is now still in the facility right now, who is not well. And God chastised me. It felt like almost like all this anger for someone who cannot help themselves. Are you finally okay with what you saw? Move on. I'm still in corporate America. I'm not following my purpose because my mom is big on working, get a job. I end up going on a date with this girl. We go to the date and the poets is there. There's two poets and they're going off, Barb. I'm talking about, I'm like, holy, like what's going on? Like move over Eminem and Lin-Manuel. Yeah, I'm like, forget that. This, what is this? And something said, you're going to do this. You're going to be a poet. I'm like, ha, no way. I'm a rapper. I was rapping in high school. I'm not doing the poet stuff. Go home, I can't go to sleep, literally, for days until I write a poem, and the rest is history. I'm writing, I start going to um, different places, and it really wasn't until the top of this year, the end of last year, where I really said, I am no longer a poet. I'm going to embrace the full calling of being a foster care poet. And so now I'm here. Just a quick overview (laughs) of of everything. Um, And yeah. Okay, so... Uh, two questions. The first mm. one is you didn't see your mom from the age of eight to 26 or from two to 26? From eight to 26. There's no <laughs> recollection. So before, when you're in foster care, they try to do these like... Um, is your mom ready yet? Visits. These visits. She never came. Oh. So, that's so I had a problem, like literally like I would say five years ago, I'm, th- I'm 30, what, 30? Yeah, five years ago, I would like, you could catch me now kind of still doing it, looking out the window aimlessly. Like, and my mom and my, my ex-girlfriend was like, yo, is everything all right? I've noticed that you look in the window waiting. And I never thought about it, but yeah, I would sit and wait and you, and, and no, no one would come. So from that eight to 26, no visitations and and then when you got when i finally got adopted termination of rights she's not there she's she's not in her mind so um then i see her 26 and 
it was, it, it closed the chapter because I knew I had to eventually face what I was been running around with and just talking that I'm okay with. I wasn't. And it was coming and seeping through my relationships. It's destroying me uh, all over the place. It's destroying me. Okay. And, and, and still was, you know? And so, yeah, when I, when, so that time, nothing. And then I don't meet my brothers and sisters into that time either. And so you decide at 26, you know what? It, 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 Cause I think, is, is it the law that you can't actually go into a closed adoption case until you're a certain age? Is it 26 that, that you were allowed to see her or? Well, listen, so there is no help to, depending on your state, you have to literally go to court, get this, the records unsealed. It's a whole mess with that. But I found them through Facebook. I knew my sister's name. I find my sister on Facebook. She says, hey, you have other siblings. I meet another sibling. I'm like, hold the, there's another sibling. And then they did like a little reunion. And that's how I met my mom. And we all, we all met. And that was when the end of the era of holding in the hatred for her um, was over. So you started that process on Facebook at 26. Uh, By the way, 26 in Hebrew. (laughs) Okay. Adonai, you've probably heard that before. It's made up of four letters, yud Hey and vav and Hey. And if you add them up, every single letter has a number attached. 26. Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. I'm not surprised that you waited till that age. I'm just like overwhelmed with all these details. So 26, you meet her and, and she agreed to come to that family reunion? Yeah. My brother is the one who can get everybody together. They get everybody together. We come up. And we meet and we finally get to talk to each other, get to see each other. But for me, I never, like, I didn't know these people really existed um, until Facebook and uh, my sister, you know, broke down that this is how many people it is. This is the lineage. Wow. So many emotions. I don't know. They were like, how does it feel? I don't know what it felt. It felt angry. It felt happy. It felt weird. It felt, I don't know. You know, I'm looking at someone that I thought would be able to argue with me. You know, I, I was, Barb, I was going for a showdown. I'm like, let's, let's do this. I got questions. She comes out and I, I, I can't, I literally can't. And God is like, what are you going to do now? What, what, and it, it just gets silent, like this weird silence. And I'm just like, okay. I go in the car, I cry my ass off all the way home because I wanted to say so much, you know? But it was hindering me. I knew it was hindering me. And every now and then, you know, you feel some type of way about why things didn't turn out the way I, you think it should. But I'm grateful. My childhood was, wow. I can't complain about how it turned out, right? Yeah, that that was a real interesting thing. And the forgiveness came with the um, to meeting, closing the book on understanding that you can hate someone and you really don't know what's going on with that person. Yeah. And I was grateful that I got to see that because had I not met her, then I probably would still be walking around with that, you know, that pent up. And that energy is amazing. It feels warm, empowering, because now I can go everywhere around the world and say, I'm angry. I'm angry. Look at what you did to me. And but she's telling foster kids and people with hate, I understand the energy and what it feels like. It's amazing energy. Nobody wants to say that out loud, but it is because you want to hold on to the hate because that's what empowering you, but you got to find a new energy. Yeah, It's over. Let, let life give you a new energy. 
Yes. Because that energy is going to, it's, it's sucking your, it's sucking your life away. Yes. And what's beyond that energy, the idea in the Talmud, the, the holy scriptures that go along with the Torah, but it's like, it's not the Bible. It's an oral tradition by all the rabbis that sat with Moses and then their grandchildren and their grandchildren. So all the way, it's like the original Facebook. Moses wrote the middle part. It's like one statement with his cronies. And then everybody has a comment around it for centuries. And it was all compiled in this book. They had to collate it. It used to be given orally because they found such a beauty in parents and would sit with their children and study it together. But when mm. we started getting enslaved, because we've been enslaved in every epoch of history, including the Holocaust, that was the most recent mm. one. It wasn't that long ago. We're just talking about less than 100 years ago. So when we were starting to get enslaved, they were like, we better write this stuff down because we can't just rely on word of mouth when we may not have each other here. Right, like that. Yeah. 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 So they wrote it down in the Talmud and there's an idea in the Talmud and in the, the books, uh, Ethics of our, of our Fathers or Ethics of Our Parent. And it says, when a person is angry... It is idol worship mm. because it's a fuel. It's like a drug and we all feel it. You know, we've all had those moments. I don't know. You know, it's like, <laughs> no one played that part in dream girls. If you know that song, <laughs> who wasn't angry and we all get angry like that. And it feels right, right. good. Like, that's why we like, sit on the like listen. right. For Celine and Whitney, like we just, ah, oh, like let it out. That's why we, right. Yeah. But if that emotion, like you said, is the thing that's driving you, it is a drive and it will kill you, God forbid, mm -hmm. a person. So I love that you got that at a young age because mm -hmm. imagine. And also, let's give your mom, the one who raised you, props. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you a story about me. My dad left when I was 18 mm -hmm. and I we went from wealthy to poor overnight. And I was at NYU studying theater and I thought, oh, this is so easy. I've won all these awards. I have a scholarship. I'm talented. My life is just planned out for me. And I'm there two months. And my dad said, you left. I got to go. No, 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 no. This is what I waited for. Like you guys were fighting my whole life. I'm finally away from all the violence. Like we had domestic violence in my house. What's interesting about trauma is that I don't blame you for looking out the window mm -hmm. because... I have moments like that. Mm -hmm. If there's a cold wind, I had like no winter clothes. And, you know, you could say, oh, you were eight, you were already an adult and, you know, legally and you're in New York and you're at your favorite school. So you didn't have enough money for food. But like, I was surrounded by rich kids. You better be there on time at the mess hall to eat in the dorm. Because if, if they close, you don't eat. Damn. I didn't grow up that way. So... I learned what it was like to be hungry really fast. And I remember I had enough money to buy like pretzels and peanuts and I put them in a jar and I was like, well, at least I got my carbs and my, you know, my fats and my triglycerides. And work it out like a diet real quick. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I was like, what can I do? You know, and I really, I know you're like, well, you grew up in South Florida and like, we were like middle-class. And then for like four years, my dad did really well. And we were like, at the gap every weekend buying clothes and dress nice and then to have nothing and be surrounded by all this money and I just remember feeling so alone and so lost 18 even 26 you need parenting you know it never stops and it's so never stopped moment I was like I'm done like I'm gonna have to figure this out on my own 
it definitely takes its toll on you thinking like, oh, I'm so lucky I have a mom. But you know what? Even when you have your birth mom and like- I still want to be that, yeah. She can't- don't, People don't understand. You can't escape this. And that's why- People, oh, you're rich. You get money. You're you did. You had a good. You don't know nothing. Trauma was yeah. every single household. That's right. If you think that somebody lives in a mansion doesn't have trauma, you're stupid. Right. They got problems. Yep. The world says, okay, you got money. We're coming after your health. Oh, you got good health. We'll come after your money. Right. Oh, you're perfectly fine. We'll come after your grandma, your your mother, every single kid you had. You on the earth says, wherever you're good at, I will attack you somewhere else. You're going to fill the raft of me. You cannot escape me. Yeah. And I learned to listen that everybody's struggle is different. Not to be comparing. You still had your own issues. Yeah. And like you said, some people had it. Know what it's like to have a good life. And then all of a sudden, go down the drain. And now they get back up, but then... Like you said, you're still struggling with your mom. You struggle with whoever. Not married yet. Like, yeah. there's a reason for that. I have abandonment issues too. And you look out the window when I feel a cold breeze come, I get taken right back to that moment. And for a long time, I couldn't live in a place with a winter. I couldn't. I was like, mm-hmm. nope, I'm going to have to be in California or Florida. And I lived in New York for the last two years. I just moved back home because my dad's sick. And this is great. It's mm-hmm. all, everything's healing. Full circle. But our, our anger towards our parents at Clubhouse, I'm doing a topic in my room, Sue and Beautiful Soul, called My Parents Are Nuts because mm-hmm. I like to have fun and tell funny stories, but also get people to cry about what's really happening and leave the resume at the door. Because um, everyone, no one's exempt from having at least one parent or step parent or something or yeah. guardian. If you or had parent. both parents, something was going on. You didn't escape it. It's always something. If you look at somebody with a perfect life long enough, you're fine. Oh, I don't want to be them. <laughs> I want your life. You get in that house, you take your bags, you run out the front door. I don't, I don't want that life. <laughs> there's, a, there's an old Jewish story where this teacher says, everyone write down their problems on a little piece of paper. So all boys classroom, they write it down. And he says, okay, I want you to fold it up, put it in this little baggie. And he takes a laundry line and he puts it at the front of the room and a little clip, a laundry clip. And he says, bring up your bag and remember where you put it. So they all do it. They put up their bag. I'm adopted. I have this trauma. And then the rabbi says, okay, if you guys don't want your issues anymore, you don't have to have them. I said a special prayer. The only catch is before you leave today, when you leave the room, you got to pick up a bag because you can't get out of here without a bag. So the boys are like, yes, I don't have my issues anymore. I want these issues. I want... And then they go to recess and they start talking. What's your, tell me more about your, your, oh, oh, really? And what happens? They all take their own bag home Mm. because they're familiar with it because the great loving God gave them those issues for them. Right. So good. That's so good. I want mines. I'm God. I see the Bentleys. I seen it. But then I also saw the reality shows of how they really live. You know what? They can have that. <laughs> no, I'm cool. I didn't know. Heavy is the head. You know, you think you want some life and you get that. It's not what you think. And oh, yeah, you just got to be grateful. Got to be really grateful for where you are because you just never know what it what it could be. And what do you do now with the foster kids? So now basically my job is just a journalist. So I'm going around the country 
taking stories, talking about it, recruiting on the adult side, telling the public. We have a lot more work to do. It's a half a million kids and maybe another half a million that's unaccounted for missing. They're all over. You got to be aware. The sex trafficking is getting out of control. It's a lot more involved. It's coordinated. It's big. And, and, and people are after American kids. So we have to be serious about that. And some kids run away. It's a runaway thing from group homes, foster homes. And if they become a certain age, then after a while, people stop looking. I mean, there's nobody looking for you after a while. And the cycle continues. I mean, I right. tend so to if think- you're 17, you run, you turn 18, the system is like, hey, ran away. It's been a year. There's no <laughs> so that person's out there aimlessly. Where's the there's no who's tracking that? Who's tracking the person that ran away and never was found? And not all of them are dead. Right. So where are they? And we have this thing like I call it the ghost population. They're not voting. They have no jobs, but they're in this country. And we have no idea where they're at. That's a problem. On a lot of reports, it tells you straight up um, due to fouls missing, due to lack of oversight. We don't know the accurate amount of people who are missing. So they're probably being enslaved somewhere like, you know, Kimmy. Literally enslaved somewhere. That is really scary. You know, inmates. We're, we're in homelessness. So when you start doing the numbers, it's just sad. And it's something that um that's on my mind and that I'm, you know, just bringing awareness to. Um, a lot of people don't know about foster care history. I don't understand who Anita Baker is, Mike Tyson, Colin Kaepernick. And just being connected with people on the policy end. I want to change some policy in America as well. What it's like to be a foster kid and that. There are so many people that were affected by it. It's really awakening a lot of people, even on Clubhouse. When I'm on there, the one girl had me, this uh, the group called The Rich Aunties. I love them. They, they, they love me back, but it's all women. And they invite me to this group. And they're like, do a poem. I do a poem called Finally Adopted or whatever, right? I do it. And the room starts crying. And I'm like, this is, this is different. So I don't say anything. And then three people come out. I'm adopted. Never told anybody, never said anything, but I'm adopted. And it goes to show me, like, how many more of us are out there, but we're in, you know, just walking around with amazing jobs, power, they're everywhere. And some people just won't talk about it. So my job is just to bring the awareness and and do my part before I get out of here and build the legacy. Remember what the foster kids did for America and the world. And to remember that there's somebody right now that just needs somebody to even love them. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how simple that is. Like somebody to say like, I care, like literally. I always think that we wouldn't even have adopted kids slash foster kids slash a system if people would just take care of their kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you have to say to that? Ah. How do we do that? How do we make it, it's a world? No way. It's because, yeah, there's, it's, it's complicated because that's part of it. But then society, drugs. So, and if you got a, a family that's not taking, that don't even love each other. So my mom dies, dad dies. Hey, auntie, can you take care of me? No, I never liked your mom in the first place. Wow. Hey, uh, uncle, can you take, no, I, I don't know you. So where do I go now? So either I'm in the street or a system has to help me because my own family won't help me. And then 
the neighborhood is like, no, we don't, we don't want any kids. We can't afford it. So now I'm into some type of system. So there has to be a system because if not, then we'll go back to the old days where, you know, we're in the beginning of America, orphan kids would just roam the streets. Like Newsies. And all type, yeah, and all type of stuff was happening to those kids. Yeah. Right? They was indentured servants, slaves, sex traffic, whatever people wanted you to do. You was a kid just looking for a, a, a hot meal in the bed. So we don't want that either. Um, but, you know, like we said, America has to start to, you got to care a little bit more because if not, you're going to pay for it on the end. Either in incarceration, homelessness, or sex trafficking, it's, it's up to you. You know, whatever America doesn't do, we pay for it in another way. I mean, why is there so many homeless people around here? You know, <laughs> I don't get it. They're, all, they're everywhere. No, so 10% we, of them. 10% about, of them, right? So it, it, it starts to go into these different parts of society. Probably more than 10% because we don't Absolutely. know some of them. Uh, cities like ridiculous, especially California. Yeah. It's intense because it's intense. Get it? They're mm. all intense. I don't mean to make a joke about it. That's It's horrible. I, I, I fled from New York City to, back to LA during the beginning of COVID. And I remember just being like overwhelmed by how many tents were on the street. And thank God they had a place to go. But it was just, it was awful. It was like, what, I was like, how is COVID going to go down we're all doing this spiritually how can we change it i'm sure you've oh. thought about it more than anybody else forget the government what can we do so that when a, an uncle or an auntie is confronted because a kid is now parentless what, what can we think about spiritually i believe the church synagogue and mosque get involved in foster care that could change the game before we put this kid in adoption please is there a way that anyone has open house for this young I think that could really, really change the game. And I'm grateful for my church because they've been letting me perform over 3,000 members, pushing my foster care activism and just letting the church know, hey, thank you for accepting me. There's foster kids in this neighborhood right now. I want you to think about them. In the future, I'm definitely going to be asking the churches and the religious community to get behind it. And I think we have members who would take some foster kids. I really believe that. And if not, we'd do respites and mentor and be in their lives if they can't have them in their house. Because everybody can't come to the house, but you can help. Who got an extra hour? Who got an extra five hours this week? That's all I need from you. It's just a young woman that looks, that's going to be like you. She needs your help right now. Because if not, who knows what's going to happen to her and how this is going to turn out for your community right? Or for your area. Either way, I, I I don't want you to have to see this person go one way when we can help them now. We can do preventative things, right? So I would definitely love the religious community to get behind it. Some are definitely helping. I just would like to see more of a aggression towards it, you know, to help, you know, better. But I hope that for that too. I, I hold that possibility. Okay. Do you ever have survivor's remorse? My mom picked me, but then there were like all those other kids I was in the house with. Sorry, that's a hard hitter. I don't mean to be. It's a low blow. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, no, I mean, was. it's a real thing. Like, you're amazing. You were supposed to be taken out. Thank mm. God. But I can't it imagine someone so feeling and loving as you not having that thought ever. I have friends from the Holocaust who are like in their 90s now. They have it every day, you know? I will say this. I did and I don't because my okay. mom taught me something. I'm going to tell you what happened. When I first got to... New Jersey, it's a Lexus, it's a pool in the backyard, it's grass. Oh my God, God, I made it. 
I go back to Philly. I'm being bullied because of where I live. I'm, Mom, I, I'm trying to tell them I'm a foster kid. I'm poor. Mom, get my adoption papers. Get them. I'm going to take it. She said, let me get this right. You want me to get your adoption papers and show them that you're from the same hood as them to prove to them that you are from poor areas that I were blessed and God blessed you and took you out and saved your life. Hmm. You are mad and frustrated because you live nicely. Who are they to make you feel bad about where you live? I love your mom. Your life you're not even in control of. And you'd be surprised how many people would die to live your life. Change my, I'm, it flattened me. I'm like, people would die to get here? He said, Brian, take your time and look where people live at and look where you live at. And then you get back to me. And my mom taught me, we don't get involved in what people are mad about. See, that's jealousy, heartache, struggle. I, I, I can't help you. And I said, I told the people straight up, listen, I come from the hood. I was raised in the suburbs of middle-class America. I'm a suburban. I love grass. I love it quiet. I'm sorry. I go to Miami. I don't stay in South Beach. I stay in North Miami Beach. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like it quiet. Me too. If you're going to bully me about my life, that's okay. People died and wanted to be in middle class. My family are first generational blacks, just like a lot of us who left cities because with all disrespect, Philadelphia was killing us. Yeah. New York was killing us. Yes. Chicago was killing us. Yeah. And yet we get Still bullied. Yeah. Because we get bullied because our parents decide to try to get to the suburbs. Mm. I'm so sorry that you hate me because of my lifestyle, but I'm grateful for God. And God said, you thinking me or are you thinking about the people who are talking about you? Continue to thank me. I put you in the suburbs, not them. Yeah. So be happy that you lived around grass, that you didn't have to worry about somebody on your corner. You should be thanking me and you should be telling them how they can get to your neighborhood because where they live at is not that good. And that you're grateful and, and be happy. I put you in a great spot like this. Mm. And you're out there talking about you're from the hood. I saved you. So when I let people, I don't let people make me feel bad about my survival. Yes. God has blessed me. If you're mad about that, you got to take it up with God. I don't know why. <laughs> That's it. Got to take it up with God. I'm grateful for what God did for me. And for the black suburbians that are out here, we're going to be proud. That's what I did at my, at my venue. It was a big thing at my birthday. And I said, do not go to these cities and act like you don't live in the burbs, trying to act like you're from somewhere that you lived in childhood. Be grateful for where you're at. Be careful. You tell those people, I am in the suburbs. You want a piece of this life? Let me help you. Yeah. But they, we lost our families. We lost our lives. We lost and have bled there. It's don't ever awesome. try to make us feel bad because we live in the hills. It took us years to get here. And if I was to tell my mom that I hate living in the burbs and I want to go back to the, that's an insult to her back. Mm. That's an insult to her work ethic. Rappers do not make millions of dollars and live where they grew up at. That's right. 
And y'all try to make the rappers feel bad too. You ain't, you ain't, you don't know what it's like to be. I'm so sorry. We spent years losing our lives and our friends there. So, far as my survival's remorse, I'm okay with it now. God has blessed me, and hey. And I'm you thinking. also chose it. You could have left. You know, you could have. You had lots of choices. I'm sure every single day you're like, you could have run away. You could have said. Right. I'm, I'm just going to give in to this feeling in the pit of my stomach and just look out the window for the rest of my life. And you were like, no, God bless me. Cause I think, I think you hit it right on the head. When you realize, when we all realize that we are just a vessel and God is beating the heart, there's no USB cord gives us the money. Where'd you get that job? Him? No, God gave it to you. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like when you realize you were just a vessel, then the pressure's off. You don't have to think, I am lucky. No, you were given an opportunity. Did you use it? Yes. Did you show up? Yes, I did. Did you fully embrace it? Yes. And I even met my birth mom at 26 because I want to let go of this anger. Woo! You could have held on to that. And been right back. And isn't it funny how I never met a successful person who's really successful, who has a good brain, a clean heart, that was angry. It's funny how that happens. Very, very hard to do. If you're going in your life, you can't do it. And I told a couple of people, if you want to get to the next level, that's where you got to move. You can't leave, then you can't get to the next level. It's impossible. We don't compare our lives. We don't feel bad about where we are in our life. Oh, they say that I'm like, I can't relate to this truck. You can't. That's fine. You have your own life to relate to. And there's an audience for you. Why are you trying to talk to somebody that that is jealous and and may not understand your life? You think that there's no struggles in the suburbs? Tell them they're a lie. Tell them there's section eight in the suburbs. Tell them that the house looks nice, but some of us are still using food stamps. They don't know what they're talking about. So you don't know what's going on in these garages. Who's with molestation. There's some counties in South South Jersey that struggle with addiction, pill popping as an all-time high. So you can't speak on South Jersey if you don't know our crime reports. See, I study that. I know what's going on in my neighborhood. And because people are not outside getting high, you think my neighborhood is nice. Well, we got we got an epidemic. You know your once you know your community, you'll be able to talk about the struggles and the problems of where you live at. Who are middle class don't know how to talk about their struggles at their level because there's always somebody in a lower class that's like, you don't know what it's like to be us. You don't know what it's like to be me either. Two different two, two different parts of the track. You know, I got my book coming out called Foster Child's Interview. Um, it's on pre-order right now and that's gonna really walk through some of my struggles. Um, in my book, I have a poem called I Write. It goes through listening to other people. The kids were coming to me about their struggles and I was just writing it down. And then I talk about it through Clubhouse and all over. But yeah, I write my stories down in my books to see exactly like a real view of what it feels like from different angles. So give us a poem and then we'll get you out of here. What's your favorite one? A Foster Child's interview. And in the book, it's going to be a journalist talking to me. They're going to ask me a series of questions and I'm replying to them through my life. Okay. So the journalist asks, what would you say to foster kids that are coming guys? And here's my response. We are Cinderella. Some of us didn't like kinship care because we couldn't really save the evils out of our auntie. (laughs) And I told the foster kids that 
I know what it's like to have demons trying to bring flowers to our trauma anniversaries. I would tell the foster kids that we are just like chipmunks. I mean, I didn't know they were foster kids too. And they, they could sing. We are songbirds. We have melodies. We have harmonies that could unlock the heartache. And I tell them that our past can be, makes us a certified consultant to the human race's fatigue smile. I would tell them that we are like Bam Bam from Flintstones. <laughs> I didn't know that he was a foster kid too, and he never lost his strength. We survived endless facilities. We walked out of burning group homes while counselors caught years trying to lift the burden of raising America's future. We are foster kids like Kung Fu Panda. That's why when I watched the film, my facial muscles tug on my lip edges to curse smiles. Hey, foster kids, I want you not to get stuck with your past or what happened back in the day, but to match people in love instead of worrying about mismatching DNA. Did you hear what I say? We are. Batman, we're orphans. We have lost some of our family members, but that does not mean if you get rich, understand that evil should not have your tongue in paralysis. And this ain't comic books. We're, our villains are abusive foster parents and sex traffickers. We are Dragon Ball Z like Goku. That's why we have to watch our anger, to love ourselves like we love our neighbor. I learned that from that Jesus dude that was born in the manger. So when you ask me, what would I say to the foster kids? I would say that it is basically sown in our history, that it is threaded and embroidered in all of our cartoons. Its messaging is simply bollying through all of the pages of our children's books. They're foster kids. Do not let America say, when are you going to get over it? They have no idea what it's like to archive our trauma that bangs in the cabin that rattles our hippocampus, our childhoods, carved warriors, that abandonment sculpted our toughness for it blueprinted our future encounters. So when you see me, when you see us, with a bunch of shadows around us, don't get nervous. That's just our angels colliding silhouettes. But for the foster kids and all of our lives and what we went through, just let you know that it was worth it. And the devil tried to destroy us, but he didn't know he was creating something deep down inside of us. That was called purpose. So when you ask me, what would I tell the foster kids? I love them. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we've been through a lot and it's all throughout our history. We don't even know it. Thank you so much for being here. You are such a joy and a sparkle of light. And I'm so blessed to know you. I'm glad you had me here and, and talking about this. Hopefully someone hears it and it helps them as well. Thanks so much. And here are some nuggets of gold from this episode. Ambition means someone who crossed over the water to get votes for themselves. A burning desire that meets one's soul. And we talked about how the word Abraham or Avraham in Hebrew literally means father or parent of multiple nations. And someone who crosses over difficult things like bodies of water without knowing what's ahead. God qualifies the called. You can learn from everyone. Listen before you speak. Always bring a notebook to a great conversation. And any conversation can be great. Sometimes we carry anger towards someone who didn't help us when we needed the help until we realize one day perhaps they couldn't even help themselves. Trauma runs in every household, no matter what the house looks like. God says, wherever you're finding blessings, I will test you. No one is exempt from trauma or tests. And if you look at someone long enough with a seemingly perfect life, you will find something. There is a huge sex trafficking problem in the United States. We have to care about it. It is all of our problem. 
500,000 foster kids are in the system and they're out there somewhere. Then there's another, possibly up to 500,000, that are not accounted for. What are we doing about it? If someone tries to shame you to make you feel bad about what you have or what you've accomplished in your life, take Ambition the Poet's mother's words to heart. When she asked him, who are they to make you feel badly about where and who you are? You can and will eventually lose your opportunities by holding on to your anger. Open up the ceiling so that you can receive the blessings that are waiting for you. And here's your grow work, your G-R-O-W-M-E work, grow me work. Here we go. This is a writing prompt. Take out your journal, take a deep breath, make sure you're hydrated and in a comfortable seated position. And ask yourself, and write at the top of the page, sometimes I just have to look out the window because deep down I am longing for, and write it out. Here's your second writing prompt. Write this at the top of another clean page. All of this anger is in my heart for someone who can't help themselves. I am talking about, and write it out. And if you are so moved to share it on our Facebook page, or better yet, our Facebook community group, please do join C1 Beautiful Soul on Facebook at our page and also our community group on Facebook. We would love to hear from you. You can also DM me at Barbie Heller on Instagram. Look for Barbara Heller, a.k.a. Barbie Heller, B-A-R-B-I-E-H-E-L-L-E-R. Check out my funny stuff, my serious stuff, my award-winning videos and movies, interviews. I'd love to hear from you. And... If you know someone with a great forgiveness story, please let me know. Send me an email at info at If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode can inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.